It was exactly 0745 hours when the astronaut Brent Cook knew that he had reached the point of no return in the seventh mission of the joint conglomerate of LH-3 support. This trip had a simple mission, to replenish much-needed supplies in the lunar station with the same name, Lunar Haven 3, hence the LH-3 acronym. This was not Cook's first trip to space, but it was to be his first on the moon. Commander Cook had an impressive resume that saw him climbing the ranks of his naval career all the way to aeronautics and the NASA space program of which he dreamt to be a part of. His last trip had occurred exactly three years before. That was another simple mission, this time to the joint country's space station. Studies conducted in the field of bottomry were conducted on that mission and Cook was assigned to provide maintenance to random pieces of equipment and to deliver chemicals designed to help the specific quest. All areas of the delicate launch procedure on ground were a go. Booster, Retro, Fido, Guidance, Surgeon, all the way from ECOM and CATCOM, the checklist was definite go. Commander Cook had already been assisted in his chair and secured for the aggressive gravity forces that this part of the trip would impose on him. On the dashboard of the spaceship, named Vega, right next to the piloting stick, Brent had a picture of his deceased girlfriend, Sarah. Every trip he made found a sense of inspiration and content with the company of her memory. The shaking inside the cabin reminded him to radio check and to connect with ground control engines as they roar as loud as he could remember. The official countdown officially began. T minus 60 seconds and counting. We're transferring to orbiter internal. Coming up on a go for auto sequence start. Every you can go and travel up. 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 Go and travel up
to swivel, aiming the shuttle for its precise target in space for main engine cutoff. Once in the point of no return, exiting Earth's atmosphere, all Commander Cook had left was to enjoy the three-day trip to the beautiful natural satellite. Immediately, the exchange between Houston and Cook began. Hey Brent, this is Houston Ground Control. How do you feel? Uh, well, uh, boy, that was, that was quite a kick. warn you about it, didn't we? That mine scheme for fuel distribution indeed promotes combustion. It was a loud bang, even for where we were. Copy, indeed it was, indeed it was. Well, check this out, Brent. Uh, you can relax now. Please stand by for separation procedure coming up. You copy? Copy that. Preparing for separation procedures coming up. Not too long after that initial and brief exchange, the separation from the main boosters and the lunar orbital lander took place. Commander Cook was now officially on his way to the moon to meet with the staff stationed at LH-3. This lunar outpost was in the bright side of the moon, inside a crater known as Romer. Its coordinates were 25 degrees, 22 feet, 6.21 inches north, and 36 degrees, 35 feet, 14.7 inches east. As the trip and the mission were concerned, everything seemed to have been going according to plan. Commander Cook took time to read a little and made space in his schedule to enjoy the very pleasant view that the moment provided. Surrounded by the vastness of space, the stars seemed to all gather to dance around him in a spectacular show of grandeur. They seemed brighter and brighter as it went. The deeper in space he ventured, the darkest the background of this infinite plateau became. It was like many of his missions, a pleasant sight to admire. At around 0530 hours of the second day of his journey, radio control made contact once again. Hey Brent, good morning, this is Houston. Uh, we are contacting you early, my friend. I do apologize for that. You copy? I do copy Houston. Good morning. It's rather early to what I owe such an early call. <laughs> yeah, sorry about the time, Brent. We do realize it's a bit early. Uh, it's important for you to get your rest. However, guidance brought to our attention a slight deviation from the initial trajectory course, and we were wondering how your numbers read up there. Can you take a quick look and relay the data? You copy? Copy that. Gonna take a look at data and relay the information. Uh, give me a second. Well, 
Houston, this is Vega 1, Commander Cook here. Um, I completed the equation and the numbers appear to be correct. Uh, the conversion remains in course. Uh, velocity is a go. Uh, ascension looks very good. Uh, just verify the angle against the nautical miles ahead. And everything looks good, Houston. Um, is there something I need to be aware of? Copy? Uh, Houston here, Brent. Uh, stand by. We'll, uh, we go through the data uh, uh, as we speak. We, we want to check it out and get back with you, okay? You copy? Copy that, Houston. You go and check through the data. I'll wait. Over. As soon as ground control spoke these words, the face of Sarah in the picture taped on the ship's dashboard lit up with the light flashes from the master alarm underneath it. Something was going on with the vessel and Commander Cook had no idea. Uh, Houston, this is Vega 1, Commander Cook here. Uh, I just have a master alarm here uh, in the module. I was wondering if you can see that on your screen and let me know what is happening. Do you copy that, Houston? I have a master alarm, a master alarm on my equipment. Do you read? Do you copy this, Houston? Houston here, Brent. As a matter of fact, we do. We have that information on the screen. Please stand by while we go through the data for further instructions. You copy that, Brent? Do not do anything. We are looking as we go. We will get back with you. You copy that, right? Copy, Houston. They want here, Commander Cook. You are aware of the situation. You will contact me again. Over out. Houston seemed to have been quite confused as well. All numbers appeared to be correctly, and the trajectory data set up by the computer system was correct and online. But some unknown force was making the ship to veer off its trajectory. Slowly, the engines began to fight against the foreign invisible force that offered no signs of letting go. The fatigue continued to build up inside the engine cores until they could resist no longer. After a considerable amount of fighting time, the engines finally gave up. A large explosion rocked the bottom of the ship, and that's all it took to finally veer the system off course and into a certain collision trajectory with the lunar surface. All the checklist roundouts, all the possible scenarios were conducted, and the conclusion pointed to a foreign force acting against the ship. There was nothing either he or all the bright minds down in Houston could do to erase the situation. An inevitable crash readiness procedure then began. Cook immediately sat back on his command chair and after adjusting his seatbelt for protection against the imminent impact, began to pull the abort action lever that at this point offered no response. Vega was now away from salvation as the third and final day of the travel and logistics of the mission became her very last. The vessel began to feel the friction of the moon's gravity welcome. Another loud and deep explosion marked the time and place Commander Cook separated the lunar module from Vega's main body and now the life-threatening freefall to the surface of the moon began to happen. A sudden and aggressive pull to the left of the ship made Commander Cook hit his head in the side metal frame of the lunar module and without any type of warning, he lost consciousness.
Several minutes later, Commander Cook found himself laying in the surface of the moon, completely exposed from the seat the module provided. He felt dazed and confused, his breathing getting heavier with a mix both of fear and a heavy hit to his ribcage. He tried to establish communication with Houston, but there was only radio silence. He was alone in the surface of the moon and with no apparent communication with the rest of the world. He retraced the remains of the main body of Vega after the crash and was able to pinpoint the last coordinates read by the trajectory system. He was at least two and a half nautical miles from the base. LH3 was not at a great distance. Consider his oxygen supply which seemed to be adequate for the walk, he decides to head towards the base facility on foot, his breathing marked by the extra effort required for the activity removed from gravity. This is when suddenly he can distinguish a rather different fluctuation in the intensity of the light around him. It is just in this precise moment when he begins to understand that along with the light phenomena, the same noise that same energy that caused Vega to plummet to the surface of the moon was audible to him as well. It was a strange noise coming from the area of the moon just behind him. He then began to evaluate his choices. Would he decide to investigate what was that mysterious force causing the light fluctuation and noises or continue his needful walk towards LH3? He quickly determines that it is important to cover the distance ahead of him and with no further delay, continues his slow hops across the lunar surface. Approximately the 23rd minute of his walk, another strong light fluctuation surrounded him, and the energy sound he was already becoming curious of once again began its rumbling sound behind him. This time, Commander Cook could not ignore it. This time he had to try to understand what was really happening. The distance between LH3 was considerable and he began to feel threatened. Upon looking at whatever was taking place in that area and the vastness of space, the star's formation that were unusually brighter than normal clearly defined the constellation he was directly staring at. Commander Cook could easily identify the constellation of Orion with its distinguishable belt right in the middle of it. And it was precisely there, in that part of the constellation, where the event was unfolding. An unusual bright and blue energy orb surrounded that area and began to open as if it was a giant black hole. But instead of projecting a dark and obscure matter from within, an almost blinding light began to erupt from inside. An enormous amount of energy that made everything stop in its track with the sound of what he would consider to be a giant trumpet. Five. Five consecutive blows of this celestial instrument made all the stars move on their axles as its otherworldly power changed everything around Commander Cook. His still heavy breathing was now confronted by another source of motivation. The light inside this hole began to get even brighter and now, from the strange confines of that space in time and reasoning, 
A gentle melody accompanied by voices was now audible. It was like a celestial choir of some sort. The clarity and the magnitude of the voices and the melody seemed to travel through each star not just into Cook's direction, but also across the confines of space, even past our planet. And upon the effort of trying to make sense of all what was unfolding in front of his eyes, no school or human intellect, no possible rational thinking could better prepare him to what happened next. From that giant and radiant open hole, a figure started to become visible. But not just any traditional space body or phenomena. This shape was the shape of a man. A man that was not only becoming visible, but also who seemed to be sitting on a giant horse. Mixed with his heavy breathing, Commander Cook was petrified. He was unable to move or react. In a normal state of shock like this one, his knees would normally alert him of the unusual circumstances surrounding him, but even them were petrified, solid. His whole body was in a solid state of wonder and mass confusion. The figure of this man sitting on a giant horse began to move, his sound echoing through the vastness of space. His horse quickly took off on a rapid run as if in pursuit of the triple crown of the Kentucky Derby. His speed was like anything Cook has seen before, and as the man became clearer upon his approach, Cook can see a golden crown on his head and the distinguished red robe that he wore. His face was covered with a powerful light. No matter how hard he tried, Cook was unable to find distinguishable features about him. It was simply impossible. The source of his light was so blinding the man suddenly stopped in front of Commander Cook. He could see this man's golden sandals, the beautifully crafted features of his white horse, and the blinding light that impeded him from eye contact. He seemed to glow. His horse maintained a simple stance as if he was almost smiling and did nothing to reverse that connection. Cook did not understand why. But this powerful energy exchange in between the two of them provoked his knees to collapse, and without having thought about it, bowed to this man's presence. As soon as his knees contacted the surface of the moon, our natural satellite began to shake in a violent quake while the man said these simple yet powerful words. It is finished. Followed by these words, the man began his run with his beautiful white horse, but this time, what appeared to be a large multitude of people also riding in horses, began to celebrate in loud voices following behind him. Commander Cook broke in tears. He was unable to process everything that was taking place in front of him, but his small degree knowledge of theological studies made him understand that right there, on the shaken surface of the moon, surrounded by the dance of billions of stars, was the mobilization of two-thirds of all angels in heaven that resisted Satan's rebellion against him. Commander Cook was forming part of a biblical promise. From what could possibly be the best spot in the universe to witness such a grand event, Cook was witnessing the second coming of the Son of Man, the Christ himself. Christ, not the priest, but now the king. 
he was returning to his people on earth as promised and to pass judgment to the rest. Commander Cook was amazed, with tears still flooding his eyes, they just kept on coming, one after the other one, singing aloud, singing without signs of stopping, legions of godly people, heavenly entities on their way to earth to do their job with their master. Cook back up on his feet and turned toward the multitude of angels and the majestic sight that was unfolded in front of him. His eyes began to feel heavy and very slowly began to close. Commander Cook took place in a biblical promise that will also resonate with everyone on earth as well. And it is that regardless of what you may think or believe, one thing is for certain. It is written. Every, absolutely every eye in this world will see what Cook just witnessed. All of them. Every eye will see.